So we're going to go into our teaching time, and if you're new here, we typically go through a book of the Bible here at Windsor Road, and so uh, we just walk through Scripture, and we're interested in what, um, what the author of the book of the Bible intended to communicate to the audience, and then the lessons that we can draw from today. And so we are walking through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and, and today we're going to look at some verses that concern this question. Here's the question that's on the table for today. What observable behavior would unmistakably mark your life as a follower of Christ? What observable behavior would unmistakably mark your life as a follower of Christ? I mean, if people saw this, fill in the blank, they would be curious about your life. You know, they'd, they, they would come to the conclusion that there's something different about you. What is it that makes you the way you are, they would ask. What's your secret? You seem different. What's that about? What, so what is that observable behavior? Uh, could it be baptism? Well, maybe. Sure. Could it be wearing a gold chain with a cross? Probably. Yeah, fine. Right? Church attendance, tithing, what is it? Well, all of those things are observable behaviors, but I want to talk about an observable behavior that would differentiate your life as day from night. Are you interested? Say yes, thank you. <laughs> well, then meet me in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. And, and I, I believe the Apostle Paul answers this question. What observable behavior would unmistakably mark your life as a follower of Christ? You'll find Philippians 2, 12 to 18 on page 981 of your church Bibles. There's church Bibles uh, either in the tray in front of you, uh, below, uh, below your chair, or, or below, uh, below your chair or someone else's chair. Uh, and if you don't have a copy of the Scriptures to call your own, please take it as a gift from us. Put your name in it and receive it. I want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. Now, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He is chained to a Roman guard. And this church that he started about 10 years before writing this letter, uh, they're really concerned about his situation. Paul is in Rome. He's in prison. It's the Praetorian Guard, Caesar's own guard. This can't turn out well, and so they're concerned. So Paul's letter is a reply. He says, well, you know, I, I'm fine. While, the while I'm in chains, the gospel is not in chains. And while I live in an unfavorable state, I trust in the faithfulness of God. And then he says, enough of me, let's talk about you. And so he, he tells them, I want you to behave 
as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Roman Philippi was a colony of the empire, uh, and it was, uh, I mean, although Philippi was in Greece, it was, when you stepped into Philippi, it was like you were in the capital city of Rome. I mean, it had all things Rome. Eighty percent of the inscriptions are in Latin, not Greek. It was a very Roman-looking city. And so, so the traveler who went to Philippi, they got to Philippi, and they were thinking, I'm not home yet, but I'm on my way. See, And the Philippians were really proud of their Roman citizenship. And Paul says, I want you to think of a, I want you to, to elevate your desires for heavenly citizenship. I want you to let your life shine for Christ. I want there to be an unmistakable mark of Christ in your life. And what might that be? Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for. He said work out. We'll explain that and un unpack that in a little bit. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Present tense. God is working in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. I smell a sermon. <laughs> that, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm, being, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. And rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So as we think about these verses today, in view of our question, the observable behavior that would unmistakably mark your life as a follower of Christ, let's just, let's just tackle three questions here. The first is this, what, what, are we, what are we told to do? What's the instruction here? What, so what is the observable behavior? That's what I want to talk about. That's question number one. Question number two is this, what happens when we do it? What happens when we do it? We'll see that in just a moment. And then thirdly, who makes it possible for us to do it? Who, you know, who makes doing it possible? possible not probable not maybe but possible 
All right? What? What happens? He makes it possible. There we go. First, let's, let's tackle the, the what. What, what. What are we being told to do here? What observable behavior are we being told to do? Well, let's just get, let's cut to the chase. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. There, let's have the offering. <laughs> I mean, it's really that simple, folks. Yeah, I, I, I want to put this, though, in, 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 in its context, because what we need to understand is that these verses, 12 through 18, that I just read, they're, they're really part of, of a hunk that Paul is trying to communicate to the church. Going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 27, and then concluding in 2.18. So, so, this hunk, 127 to 2.18, is really the, the, the big idea of the entire letter. And there's, there's five commands in that hunk of Scripture, right? So, verse 27 says... Only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's a command. That's English teachers. That's in the imperative mode. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. 127. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 2. Complete my joy, Paul says. You want to make me happy? You're concerned about me in prison? Uh, here's what would make me happy here's how to make your preacher happy be of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind paul says complete my joy behave as citizens complete my joy and then then he then he says in two five two five have this mind have this mind in you which was also in christ jesus think like jesus think like jesus and, and then, and then down, down to verse 12, this is the fourth command, fourth command. Therefore, work out, activate, activate, put into action, display your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that phrase means take it seriously. Take your faith seriously, okay? And then, and then he gets to this, this, Command in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. You see what Paul's doing here? He starts kind of, ab- it's kind of, he kind of starts in the clouds, and then he gets down to the concrete. Right? The cloud, behave as citizens. What do you kind of mean by that, Paul? Well, well, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Well, what, do you, what do you mean like that? Well, think like Jesus, is what he's trying to say. Well, well, well yeah, okay, well, work, work, work out, get involved, demonstrate your, well, yeah, but Paul, let's get really specific. Okay, stop complaining. That's pretty clear. There's nothing abstract about that, is there? You know? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. God tells us to imitate Christ with murmur-free mouths. Citizens of heaven don't grumble. Okay. Now, grumble. We know these words, don't we, Mary? Yeah, yeah, we know these words. What's the word? You got the word? Gongusmas, that's right, that's right. Gongusmas, gongusmas. So Paul is, he's using style here because that is an example of uh, English teachers, onomatopoeia. 
uh, he, it's onomatopoetic. What's that, pastor? Well, remember your English class. It's where the sound of the word suggests its meaning. The sound suggests the meaning. Hiccup. Hiccup. Huh? Buzz. See? Grumbling. Gongoose moss. <laughs> Gongoose moss. This is this Gongoose moss. This place is complaining. I don't like this. It's Gongoose moss. This is it's Gongoose moss. This is coffee's too cold. Gongoose moss. How come they don't have the dark roast? I like dark roast. What's going on? Gongoose moss. Gongoose moss. Right? Yeah, grumbling and disputing. Disputing, bickering, feuding, arguing. Grum grumbling is the under your breath, and that bursts into disputing. See? Paul says none of that. We, we kind of, a few weeks ago, there was this football game. Okay? You already know where I'm going with this. Take a look, let's look at this picture. We got this picture there? Yeah. Now, one of these persons is gongoose mossing. Okay? One of these persons is gongoose mossing. There it is. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. And, and that went global. Right? If that, now, of course, you know, what's, what, where's the next picture here? Oh, now they're friends. Of course, they won. <laughs> Right? Oh, they're just, oh, they're, they're just you, know, you know, BFF, right? Best friends forever. Yeah, oh, it's okay. I didn't mean it. Yeah, I love you too. I love you too. Yeah, 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 yeah. If they'd have lost, <laughs> someone would have probably gotten a fine. Maybe. I don't know. So, anyway. But, but see, that picture by itself would not have gone global because, psh, what's that? But you see, when there's drama, the gongus must the grumbling, it, it gets a lot of publicity but not maybe the kind you want and Paul says do do all things without grumbling or complaining grumbling and complaining th those are key words uh, which go all the way back to the Old Testament Paul is connecting the Roman Philippian church a church of predominantly Gentiles non-Hebrews ethni ethnically, he's connecting them from the first century with the historic Hebrew people of God from the Exodus. There's this type of language all throughout this particular paragraph here from, from this grumbling and disputing, children of God without blemish, shine like stars. All of those are can be tied back to Old Testament scriptures Pour, uh, poured out like as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul is connecting the Gentile Roman Philippian church to the historic Hebrew people of God. And, and, and here he's connecting Israel's notoriety for their grumbling. Numbers 11, chapter 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortune. Yes, we're tired of eating manna. We've had enough manna. 
We have manna waffles, manna burgers, manna burritos, manna pancakes. We're tired of this manna, 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 manna. We're sick of it. People, people who gongoose moss almost always feel justified. I mean, God had rescued biblical Israel from Egyptian slavery and had promised them land, yet Israel took that promise and turned it into a claim, twisted it into entitlement. They they thought that God should just carry them into their future with no exertion on their part. And their grumbling signified belief that God had committed an injustice. We're tired of this man. We, Numbers 11 says, we want cucumbers and leeks and onions and all-you-can-eat fish like we had along the banks of the Nile back then. What are they talking about? They were slaves. But that's what grumbling and murmuring does to us. Murmuring makes us amnesiacs. Murmuring makes us forget reality. Murmuring makes you imagine things that weren't there in the first place. And so Paul's connecting the Philippians to ancient Israel. Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are in the lineage of Abraham. Galatians 3.23. If you are Christ, God does not have two plans. There's one plan For the people of God, and the people of God are the people who are are in Christ from any tongue and tribe and nation and language. Through Christ, ancient Israel has become your ancestors. Don't act like your ancestors. Do all things, all things, not a few things, not most things, all things, without Grumbling in disputing. It matters not your location, your situation, or your condition. In our, in our Ash Wednesday service, we were challenged about fasting, weren't we? And as an act of total dependence on God. May I suggest that each of us in this room, pastor included, participate in a murmur-free march. A a gongoose moss fast. What what would a murmur-free march look like in your world? Many of us are going to get up in the morning and we've got pressures and stressors and responsibilities. What would it be like to face all of them without a hint of gongoose moss? I'm not going to gongoose moss with my spouse. I'm not going to gongoose moss with my children. I'm not going to gongoose moss with my parent. I'm not going to gongoose moss my employee or my employer. What would the tone of your space look like if you lived a grumble-free reality? It seems like such a little thing. But in fact, could it be that this little thing is not so little at all? Could it be that no other place reveals our need for the grace of God than right here? God, I need you to kill the gangrene of gongoose moss in my heart. God, please. Please. 
Because that's where it starts. It starts in the heart. Jesus said that. Jesus said that in Luke 6:45. He said, It is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. So before Gongus Moss goes out of your mouth, it's been living in your heart. A grumbling, complaining mouth stems from a grumbling, complaining heart. Now, let me be quick to say, church family, that grumbling is not lament. Lament is the cry of a wounded heart at the brokenness of life. Lament is an act of faith. Lament grieves. Lament mourns. Lament cries out, God, I don't, I don't know about this. I am broken about this. I'm confused about this. I don't like this, but I trust you with this. Not my will, but thine be done. Right? Grumbling is not lament. Grumbling is contempt. Grumbling rests on two false assumptions. Assumption one, God, I deserve better. I deserve better. Don't you know who I am? I deserve better. And assumption number two, God, I think I know better. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I know. I don't, I don't think you know what you're doing, but I think I know what I'm doing. Hmm. You cannot express faith in God's sovereignty while at the same time serving him a subpoena to your personal courtroom to judge his behavior. Grumbling belittles the glory of God. I'm going to just lean into this for just a minute here because this is a culture shaper. Many of us here have leadership responsibilities and that means your words have weight. And one of the easiest ways to kill leadership credibility is self-pitying gongoose moss. And by that I mean getting up in front of your followers and murmuring and complaining and disputing and whining. If you're the leader and you're whining, you're not leading. Some leaders want all the influence without any of the aggravation. But it doesn't work that way. The larger your classroom of students, the more students you have to be upset with you. The more people listen to your podcast or follow your tweets or read your content, the more people who can fire shots at you. It, it's just one of the undeniable laws of leadership. The wider your impact goes out, the more frequent the complaints come back. That's the deal. Yes, leaders have feelings, and leaders get hurt, and leaders get discouraged, but leaders can't gongoose moss and expect to lead well. I've found that the more I pray, the less I gongoose moss. The more I long for God, the less prone I am to murmur about God. The more I express gratitude to God, gratitude to God. Sarah and I were watching last night's Actors Guild Award, whatever it was, and after the show was over and they had finished presenting these Oscar-like trophies to the actors, 
we looked at each other. I said, did you notice the first two words that came out of every actor's mouth when they took the stage? She said, yes, thank you. It was thank you. It was thank you. <laughs> if a crooked and depraved generation can do that, ought not the people of God? Paul says in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And one of the most observable ways of working that out is prayer. A prayer-filled mouth. So where do you take your pain? You, do you take it directly to God or sideways as gripes about God's wisdom disguised as observations about other people? Do we bring our pain to God or do we choose to simmer in a low boil that leads to resentful obedience and frustrated service. Well, I'm going to serve, but everybody's going to know how much it costs. What, what would a murmur-free march look like in your life? Well, what, what would it look like? You know what? It might look like conversions for Christ. And that, that leads us to question number two. What happens when we do? What's the outcome of a, of a murmur-free, grumble-free, gongoose-free heart? Verse 15, that you may be blameless and innocent. So, so this is why we do all things without grumbling and disputing. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as stars. Stars, that's the word. In the world holding fast the word of life. Here's our big idea. Our grumble-free mouths bring credibility for Christ. Christ has appointed us as his ambassadors. This church is called to be an embassy of heaven. And so our mission is to make it plausible for others to believe that God's love is real. And in a dark and depraved culture, the world observes us and concludes, you're the real deal. We, we, we see you. We see you. And, and we see the world by the light that you shine. Have you ever been in a place on earth where you could get a clear view of the Milky Way? Have you? Uh, the last time for, for me, it was, it was in Haiti. We were on a missions trip. We looked up, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Well, 100 to 400 billion stars. That's us, church. Christ gathers us, illuminates us, then disperses us worldwide. Whereas in the former covenant, God brought his people near the temple in Jerusalem. Now, in the fullness of time, through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, through his ascension, session, and the sending of his spirit into his people by grace through faith, we are now the temple. Paul says so in Ephesians, the dwelling place of Christ's spirit. We've been scattered First in Jerusalem, then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God's people are global. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are all over the world. From Philippi to Rome to North, Central, South America, Asia, Africa, the Pacific Rim, Australia, the Middle East, Gaza, Israel, Ukraine, Russia, 
God's people are global. He wants every square inch of this earth exposed to his starburst glory. And so he's cast us out into classrooms and clinics and hospitals and grocery stores and farms and semi-trucks and counseling offices and universities and neighborhoods and construction sites. Gospel constellations brighten cities and suburbs and rural communities. We are the interstellar lights sent to illuminate the night. And this church family, this is the miracle that God would rescue us from the darkness and then do his work in our lives that we become luminaries for the king. And so that sentence, among whom you shine as stars in the world, that's a reference to Daniel 12.3, which describes the resurrection age when those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This is our destiny. This is our calling. When we live murmur-free lives in humility and harmony, when we consider others more important than ourselves, when we look not only to our own interests but to the interests of others, when we slay self-glory, we illuminate the promise of God's coming kingdom. We, we bring the future into the now. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Church family, that is our ministry. That's our ministry. Our ministry is not just what, our ministry is not just what happens via church scheduled events. Ministry is not just what happens on stage in front of a seated audience, and then I come down off the stage, and now it's no longer ministry. No, 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 no. Ministry is you being an ambassador for the king where he has put you in your world. And listen to me, listen to me say, I don't really like where I am in the world. And Paul would say, I get that. I've got a chain next to a Roman guard. I'd rather be in Spain planting churches. But here I am, and here this guard is, and I'm going to tell him about Jesus for the next six hours. Because that's his shift. <laughs> Who's the prisoner? <laughs> See? See, that's, that's the heart here. That's what we're talking about here. And uh, we're to be light wherever we are. I, I went to a restaurant once and um, kept overhearing the employees gongus-mossing. They didn't really care for each other. And it was very evident they didn't like working there. And, and, and the food lacked love. So I didn't go back. And later on, I went to a really warm hospitable cafe man the staff works together and they take care of the customers and they smiled 
and to make you feel like you're at home and you, you wanted to go back. My, my, what was my conclusion? Well, well, my conclusion is this. Grumbling and disputing are repulsive, but harmony and humility are attractive. And that's true in a coffee shop. And it's also true in a church. Some churches make newcomers feel like they're an interruption. Other churches make you feel like you've come home. And when we complain and argue, we drive the crowd away. When we're grateful and gracious, we draw them in. And by the way, I am so very encouraged to report that the vast, vast, vast majority of our feedback from first-time guests is very positive. I hear comments like warmth, family-friendly. I hear comments, I sense the Lord is here. I sense the Lord is here. It's very common. I here's another one. Thank you so much for the joy of our parking attendance. Huh? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. They they smile. It's a, folks, it's attractional. It's attractional. And when a church is grateful and gracious, that church glows for the gospel. And I think that's what Paul is trying to tell the Philippians here. You're God's family. You're his children. You're linked to the historic people of God. You're brothers and sisters of the same father. Let others feel what the family of God is like so that they're going to want to be part of it. Listen, grumbling pollutes the gospel light we are called to display. And, and people are watching. They're listening. So, and so the question is, what are they seeing and what are they hearing? How are we different from the world? Are we standing out like bright stars in a dark sky? The, the quality of your life rests on little words. Your grumble-free mouth brings credibility for Christ. And someone here may be thinking, well, that, this is a talk. A murmur-free march? Really? How about just a murmur-free Monday? <laughs> now, murmur-free march. Let's raise the bar. Come on. You say, well, how, how is that possible? Glad you asked. You see, you can't do this. You can't even do it on Monday. But I know someone who can. I know someone. I, help. I, I know where help can be found. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 14, do all things without gongusmas and then keep, keep following that train of thought on 14. Holding, how is that possible? Holding fast to the word of life. Isn't it interesting? Paul doesn't really appeal to himself he could say well i'm not gongusmasing and i'm in rome connected to this guard by a chain for two years so you can now he doesn't say that he says you can because god is working in you god is working in you god is alive god is active our god isn't lazy he labors and we are the job site. We are the whereabouts of his energizing work. Think about your own life. Think about your own life. Why are you here today? Why are you the way you are? You could be a dozen other places. I could be a dozen other places. 
but we're not. We're here. Why is that? Paul would say, for it is God who is working in you. God the Son put on flesh and took the very form of a servant and suffered death, even death on a cross. And then his father super exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And after his resurrection and ascension, God the Holy Spirit came into your life and opened your heart and arrested your life. God the Spirit made you curious about himself and then yourself and your life. He convicted you of your sin. He awakened you from death. It is this God who has given you to grasp the word of life, which is at one and the same time the word that professes life, the word that supports life, the word that shows us how to live life. And even when you were unconcerned, God inserted himself into your life. Note the text. It says it is God who works in you. That is, God did more than merely present truth to you. He, worked, he is working it in you. He's kneading it into you. To what end? To what end? To will and to work according to his good pleasure every good desire every christ-like thought every flooded tear from the hymns we sing in the family of god together every aspiration that i have that is produced in me by god and this explains verse 12 paul says as you've always obeyed not only in my presence but much more in my absence Paul says, you can do what I'm about to ask you to do without my physical presence. So, so Paul is an apostle, not a cult leader. You are equipped to live as kingdom citizens. How, how, what, how? Because God is working it. These were Philippians. You know, they, did, they didn't have the library of commentaries on your iPhone right now. They didn't have any of that. They had Philippians and the gospel and the Holy Spirit. God at work. God at work. You're equipped because God is working in you. So here's the question. Here's the question. Are you aware that God is working in you? See, that's, see, that's the proof that we belong to Christ. Not that we subscribe to a statement of faith. And I'm not saying that's not important. We have an elders meeting Tuesday night. I want to make sure that's clear. A statement of faith matters. But that, that's, not, that's not proof that we are Christians. Not, not, not even that I gather with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship. Of course that's important. Gathering matters. Community matters. Doctrine matters. Yet the proof that we are Christians is not in our moral code. The fundamental thing is this. Am I aware of God working in me? Am I alert to that which I cannot explain? Am I mindful of his interference in my life and of his disturbing, interrupting, persuading, wooing work? It's, it's that line in William Wordsworth's poem, I have felt a presence that disturbs me with the joy of elevated thought. God is at work. Am I aware of it? 
And then will I choose to act on it? As long as God is working in, then I will choose to work it out. I, I will cooperate. I will keep in step with the Spirit. You, you know the Holy Spirit likes to dance? Yes. Yes, yes, Paul says in Galatians, keep in step with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit likes to dance, but He wants to take the lead. And so I must follow, I must persevere. And while this world seems to fail because it does not will and desire the right thing, God is working in us. And He will exert His mighty, enduring energy so that you will desire the right thing so that you can do the right thing and keep doing it to the day of Christ. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. And that's why we don't need to grumble. Amen? Oh God, we love you so much. Keep working in us, Lord. Keep working in us. Keep working your grace in us so that we can work out gratitude and appreciation and encouragement. God, help us. Illuminate us so that we will shine like stars for the glory of King Jesus. And it's in whose, his name we pray and the church said.